Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning on a beautiful Lord's Day. We're in October now. At the end of the month, we have a trunk or treat. Hopefully, you'll help us out with that. It's always a great time. Always have lots of kids out here. It's joyous. It's fun. It's, uh, you know, lots of kids laughing and smiling and having a, having a wonderful time. If you need help with that, you can talk to Laura. She's great at coming up with ideas about how to decorate your car and you know, if you need costume ideas or whatever, we can, we can make suggestions, you know. <laughs> um, well, we're in this series in the Gospel of John, and just a, a wonderful thing to meditate on. I appreciate Bobby reading that passage uh, from Hebrews, which I believe goes right along with what we're talking about this morning. You know, as we think back to last week and how we looked at those first five verses, uh, we, we notice how the, the Gospel of John, it begins with a poem. And even though it was written in Greek, we get a sense of that in English. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this poem continues for 18 verses. And this isn't just any poem. It is echoing parts of the biblical story, the most obvious being Genesis. Both of those books, John and Genesis, begin with the same three words. They, they begin with the same themes, creation, light, and darkness. We also notice how the Gospel of John is, is not stuck in the past, although it's echoing all these things uh, that, that have already happened. The, the story is being advanced, and so something new is about to happen. The Gospel of John is the continuation uh, of a story that began a long time ago, a story with roots in Genesis, Exodus, and other books of the Bible. It is also the, the revelation of something new. And so this story has not ended, and what John is about to reveal in the coming chapters and, and, and verses is mind-blowing. Now, we may not see it this way because we've read it before. But the people who first read this gospel would have been shocked, surprised, and in awe of all that it contains. We began last week with those first five verses where, where the identity of Jesus is just made plain. And so this morning we're going to look to the rest of the poem, beginning in chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now there's a lot to unpack in these verses. But, but there's one verse that stands out in this passage, and it's verse 14. This verse 
contains clues. They're going to help us make sense of, of everything that we're reading here. It states, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We notice right away that the Word, the, the Logos, which we talked about last week from verse 1, became flesh. God becomes human. Now, this is huge. This is unbelievable. No one was expecting anything like this. Sure, Israel was, was looking for a Messiah, but, but what Israel was expecting, Israel was expecting a king, maybe a military leader. And, and what they got was God. God comes to them. Uh, Ron's been doing a wonderful job of Sunday morning on Philippians. I want to go to Philippians for just a minute. In Philippians 2, we're going to hopefully get to that next week. We're, we're told what all this entails. And, and you read there in Philippians chapter 2 that, that Jesus humbled himself. And he takes on the form of a servant. And he's born in the likeness of man. Just like last week. What, what you read there in Philippians 2, it, it, it stretches our mental capabilities. It's a lot for us to you know, wrap our minds around, but we need to try. We can't just say, oh, that's, that, that's beyond me. I'm not even going to attempt that. We need to try. Why? Why is it so important? Why do we have to you know, understand these, these hard teachings that we find in the Bible? Because in Philippians 2, just before... Paul talks about Jesus becoming flesh and, and, and everything that's going on with, with him. We're told that we're to have the same mind as Jesus. And so we're to do our best to understand all of this because Paul says, whatever's going on in the mind of Jesus, we're to think that way. Well, how did Jesus think? Well, he, he leaves heaven to come to earth. He's born in this feeding trough surrounded by animals. He's born into to poverty. He, he lives a life of serving others. He, he willingly lays down his life. He, he volunteers for the cross. And, and Paul unpacks all that Philippians 2. He says, that's how we're supposed to think. We're to meditate on what it means that the word, the logos became flesh because we ourselves, to the best of our ability, are to try to have that same mentality. And why is this important? Well, I, you know, I believe the number one problem in our world today is selfishness. It's just me, me, me all the time. And it's impossible to be a Christian and be selfish because it goes against the call to discipleship. Remember, we're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow Jesus. It goes against who Jesus is. It goes against everything he stands for. If Jesus had one ounce of selfishness in him, he would have never left heaven. He would have never taken on flesh. He would have never went to the cross. You know, it's easy for us to, to hone in on these two words, became flesh, in verse 14. And then sort of miss everything that comes after it. John goes on, he says, The Word became flesh and he dwelt 
among us. Now, this probably means little to most of us, but I want to say something about the, the Greek behind these words. And I don't do this because I think we all have to know Greek to understand the Bible. We don't. But I do think it's important to understand how people in John's day would have heard this verse. Now, literally, it could be translated, the word tabernacled among us, or the word pitched his tent among us. That, that's actually a more literal translation. Um, and you might say, you know, well, what's the difference there? What, what does it matter whether it's translated dwelt among us, or tabernacled, or pitched his tent? After all, you know, dwelt makes more sense. It's easier to understand. That's why, you know, in most translations, that's, that's what they go with. And I agree that it's easier to understand. But when you think about tabernacled, or you think about pitched a tent, both of those have theological significance. They connect us to other parts of the Bible. Remember, that's what John's doing in this poem. Just as we were to be reminded of Genesis in verses 1 through 5, now in this part of the poem, we're to be reminded of Exodus. The tabernacle was a tent. So whether we say tabernacle or pitched a tent, we're, we're, we're talking about the same thing. And what was the tabernacle? Well, we, you know, we might say it's a place of worship. It was a, a place where sacrifices took place. But primarily... It was the place where the presence of God was. And so when, you know, as, as people were reading this poem in the first century, as, as we're reading it today in the 21st century, we should be reminded of passages like Exodus 40, 34 through 38, where it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out to the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys." The tabernacle was where God was present as the people of Israel, they traveled from place to place. And so people were reminded of the presence of God every time they saw this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire. And the fact that, that God was present with his people, that, that was a big deal. But they could not see God. They could not approach him however they wanted there were laws quite a few laws about how you could enter the tabernacle and who could enter the tabernacle and what you had to do to enter the tabernacle to prepare yourself to go in and so to you know even though it was this wonderful thing the presence of God was with them to come into the presence of God was a very frightening thing as we saw in that passage from Hebrews that Bobby read and so God's presence among his people was not something new. When John 1 verse 14 states the word tabernacled among us, 
people you know, were, were reminded of Exodus. They were reminded of this background. They knew all these stories. They grew up hearing them. However, this was something new. This was something amazing because God took on flesh and people could see him and people could touch him and they could speak to him and, and God was now present among his people in a way that they just never even thought possible. Now that's not the only story from Exodus that, that people would have been reminded of as they looked at John 1.14 because God's glory was tied to his presence. And so people would have remembered this connection from passages like Exodus 33.17-23 where it says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by my name. By name. And Moses said, please, show me your glory. He asked God, God, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. No one can see God. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God's glory was too much to behold. Even though Moses was, was hidden in the cleft of the rock, his face was still shining as he came down the, the mountain. Everybody looked and they saw Moses and his face was glowing. In the past, people may have caught a glimpse of God's glory. And, and even that small glimpse, even, even as you're hidden in, in the cleft of the rock with God's hand protecting you, it was too much. But now, John 1, 14, the word has become flesh and tabernacled among us. And what else? We have seen his glory. Because of, of Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, that we all with unveiled faces can behold the glory of God. Something new is happening. This is the point of John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All of this is grace. God taking on flesh. God living among his people. God revealing his glory to us. And it's important for us to understand this because sometimes I think we take all of this for granted. You know, we, we, we forget about these stories of, of the tabernacle that maybe we heard in Sunday school growing up, but we don't hear much about nowadays. 
We forget about Moses' shining face. We forget about all those laws and regulations. We assume, you know, God coming near, well, that's just no big deal. It's what we've always known. And we don't always realize and appreciate the grace that we have received. Think again about the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He's echoing this same story in Exodus that John 1.14 is echoing. Considering what happened to Moses, what John and Paul both record is just astounding. And we all, with, with unveiled face, not like Moses where he had to have his face veiled, we don't. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we can look at it. Before, you couldn't look at it. And because we can, can do this with unveiled face, and because we can look at the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, the image of Christ. Before this was impossible, now it is possible. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we behold his glory, we are being transformed and our lives are changed. Go and ask people if they want to change their life. Go ask people if they want to become a new person. You'll find lots of people who do. They want that. This is why, you know, we we have this self-help industry that's a billion-dollar industry. There are all kinds of people seeking change. They they want a new life. They want change. The Bible says we can have a new life if we'll fix our attention on Jesus. Even some Christians desire to have a new life and, and to be a different person. Just wearing the name of Christ does not change who we are. Just because we claim the name of Jesus does not mean we're going to be transformed. We have to look to Jesus daily. We have to be like him. We have to to desire, to, to want to be like him. And we have to do what Paul says here. We have to meditate on his glory. Many faithful followers of God have, have longed to be able to do this over the years and were unable. They lived in a different time. They lived under the law. We live under grace. But do we realize it? Do we take advantage of all this entails? Are are we grateful every day for the ability to to know Jesus and, and to have him transform our lives? John does not want us to miss the point here. So he concludes his poem with these words. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God has made himself known. He came to earth and revealed himself to us. We have not one, not two, not three, but four accounts of his life. Why? Because this is a really big deal. It's it's the climax of all of history. You like history? There's nothing more important 
than what's contained in those four Gospels. There's never been, nor ever will be, anything more important. And yet there are people who just kind of shrug their shoulders as if it is no big deal. There are people who have these four Gospels in a Bible at home, but, but never open them up to read about Jesus. There are people who choose football or baseball or shopping or sleeping in or whatever it is over being with the people of God and beholding the glory of God. We have seen grace, but it's only grace if we accept it. It's only grace if we embrace it. It's only grace if we make it our own and we choose to live by it. If we spurn it or if we neglect it, it's no longer grace. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace has been revealed to us. Now we must decide what we're going to do with it. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for Jesus who came to this earth, who took on flesh, who lived among us, who revealed your glory to us. What an amazing, astounding thing. I pray that we would meditate on passages like John 1, Philippians 2, and just think about what all this means. It is incredible. And because of this, Father, you have given us a wonderful opportunity. May we not spurn it or neglect it. May we embrace the grace that you have showed each of us. May we accept the sacrifice made on the cross, become obedient to the gospel, and fix our eyes on Jesus, beholding his glory as we are being transformed into his image. Father, I pray that people all around us would see Jesus in us because of this. I pray this in his name. Amen. We receive this blessing from the book of Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here this morning, you need to respond to the gospel. You need to put on Christ in baptism. If we can help you with anything at all, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?